Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Horror, Wine, and Crime with KK and Lo. What's up, Lo? Oh, I'm Lo. I'm sorry, I was confused for a second. I thought it was KK. No, today I think today I'd rather be Lo, and you could be KK because KK is not having a great day. <laughs> KK caught my virus through the computer last week. It's all Lo's fault. <laughs> but we're gonna push through. And we're going to give, hopefully, still a fun show. Definitely. Um, this one is, I don't know, I think it's a little fun. It's a little bit different than what we, or the way we're doing it, I guess, is a little bit different. Um, this one has layers. It has a lot of ding, ding, dings. It has a lot of Easter eggs. It has a lot of. All the things. We love so, all those things. We love layers. We love ding, ding, dings. Easter eggs. I'm here for it all. Yes. So we're going to skip a little bit of the the fun chatty chat stuff. I know everybody's thinking like, thank God. But <laughs> not true fans. Sorry. <laughs> whatever. Um, but I'm going to try to make it so Crystal doesn't have to talk as much as uh possible if she chimes in it'll just be on her own accord honestly you're welcome guys you're probably hoping i don't talk as much <laughs> so you're welcome no they love kk <laughs> okay so catcher in the rye has had a lot of um what's the word a lot of controversy there you go around this book okay so is it a conspiracy or coincidence that it has murder attached to it for one okay mm -hmm. um, many people either love the book or hate the book and i'm going to be honest i'm just now reading the book i'm about halfway through and I'm totally digging it, okay? Like, I'm kind of, like, laughing. Um, I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. Now, a friend of mine did kind of make a good point. He's like, well, are you reading it now as an adult in 2024 is different than reading it as a teen in 1951. Times are a little different. <laughs> they are. However, I still don't see the big deal about the book but then again we're living in a world where we got cardi b all over the radio so this book being in a library in my opinion should not be even a question i mean at least this is literature i don't know if we consider cardi b literature i mean i do i don't <laughs> i don't want to insult her music you know because she is an artist Yes, she, she expresses her way a little differently, probably, than the book. <laughs> so, um, since 1951, this year that it was published, it sold 65 million copies. Damn. Yes. Um, it's still selling, like, what is it, like a million copies a year or something? It's still a hot press book. It's a classic. The, I never read it personally. Um, I didn't either until like, I'm like this many years old. Um, so I'm working on it. I'm almost done. So the Catcher in the Rye, like the original first edition, like in very good condition, runs from about six to ten thousand dollars, up to twenty five thousand dollars per copy. Man. Only I had one of those. <laughs> yes. And it says, thus, BCE remain popular political for the beginning of book collectors. Um, a photo of Catcher in the Rye book club addiction. Addiction. <laughs> <laughs> They're addicted. Addition. Um, blind stamp on the back cover. So it's got to be like a first edition, like limited edition i mean it's not going to be one that was just like hot press that you find probably ditched it 
Salvation Army today, you know? Right. But maybe some people throw stuff away and not know what they're throwing away. That's true. Lots of people. Now, what it is, what is it that is so inappropriate about Catcher in the Rye? So the American Library Association states that Catcher in the Rye has been banned by schools and public libraries for having excess vulgar language, sexual scenes, things concerning moral issues, excessive violence, and anything dealing with the occult and communism, among other things. Which, I mean, again, so far in this day and age, I'd rate it like PG-13. Right. Um, so why is Catcher in the Rye a red flag? Is it a red flag? So there was a time in the early 80s when a man killed John Lennon the man who stalked Jodie Foster and tried to shoot, or actually shot, Ronald Reagan. Um, they both claimed that they were obsessed with Catcher in the Rye. That is why some people feel the conspiracy around this novel. Okay. So we're going to get into that. Um, like I said, conspiracy theory or coincidence? Uh, how many times has Catcher in the Rye been made into a movie? Fun little fact, it's never been made into a movie. That's very surprising considering how many like copies they sell of this book. You'd think somebody would have made it into a movie by now. Yeah, I think the original writer was like hard-pressed like making that difficult, but he's no longer with us. So I don't know if over time somebody will, if he's got sons or somebody that would has rights to it i don't know who has rights to it or does the rights die with him i have no idea oh yeah i do wonder how that works because i feel like that would be a very uh a smart move and it would probably be a pretty popular movie i mean i feel like we're kind of running out of ideas and everything is a sequel or prequel or reboot yeah it's getting a little stale out here in the movie world Although I did see that they're rebooting Clueless and Elisa Silverstone and Paul Rudd are playing the parents. Oh, well, I will be showing up for that one. <laughs> I will too. But again, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to be it's disappointed. It's a reboot though. You know, like. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be. I just feel like all the reboots are never as good as you want them to be. I know. But I'm having faith that if Paul Rudd and Alicia Silverstone are doing it, there's some strong conviction for them to do it right. I hope so. Okay. So we're going to get into Mark David Chapman. He's our first focus. And he was born on May 10th, 1955 in Fort Worth, Texas. He grew up in Decor, Georgia. And as a teen, he developed an obsession for the Beatles, especially John Lennon. While in high school, he became a born-again Christian. He worked for the YMCA as a counselor for Vietnamese refugees, which was in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. Um, he, in 1977, Chapman moved to Hawaii, where he attempted suicide and was taken into the hospital. Later that year, he began begin working in the facility, first in maintenance, and then in the print shop. In 1979, Chapman married and began a security guard job. Over ensuing the years, he grew increasingly unstable and homicidal. He became fixated on J.D. Salinger's novel, Catcher in the Rye, and began identifying with the delusioned main character of Holden Caulfield. Chapman also created a list of people he wanted to kill, and this included Johnny Carson, Elizabeth Taylor, John Lennon. I believe there was even David Bowie on the list. Like, really? Bowie? <laughs> Not that he should want to kill anybody, but you know what I mean. Especially Bowie. <laughs> he eventually decided on the former Beatle, who he had become to think is a phony, in addition to Chapman, he believed that the murder would make him famous, transforming him into something other than a nobody. I always think it's interesting when 
people want to become famous and they choose murder as their route of fame. Yeah, I don't... Like, There's much more um, noble things you can become famous for, but sure, if that's what you want to choose. Yeah. I mean, write a song, sing a song, do a dance. I mean, I guess yeah. I didn't have TikToks back then. That's true. More limited options, I guess. In October of 1980, Chapman quit his job, and shortly thereafter, he purchased a gun. Later that month, he flew to New York City, but he changed his mind about killing Lennon and returned back to Hawaii in November. However, he went back to New York on December 6th. Two days later, he waited outside John Lennon's residence at the Dakota apartment building. In the early evening, he met John Lennon, who autographed a copy of the album, Double Fantasy. That night, Lennon and his wife, Yoko Uno, returned home, and Chapman fatally shot him in the back. Chapman remained at the crime scene, reading Catcher at the Rye until he was arrested. Chapman was charged with second-degree murder and underwent psychiatric testing. Although it appeared that he would pursue an insanity defense, one doctor diagnosed him as schizophrenia. He pled guilty in June of 1981. He pled guilty because the Lord wanted him to plead guilty. He was basically atoning for his sins if he pled guilty. Chapman received a sentence of 20 years to life. He became eligible for parole in 2000, but was repeatedly denied and released. Mark David Chapman had two obsessions. Okay, one was the Beatles, personally John Lennon. The other was Holden Caulfield, Catcher in the Rye. I don't need to tell you how big the Beatles were. I don't need to tell you they were loved by nations all around. People were obsessed. They worshipped they loved the Beatles or they hated the Beatles, but there definitely was a lot of love towards the Beatles. Oh yeah. Massive love. So when John Lennon released Imagine in 1971, as far as much as people loved it, he got a lot of hate and a lot of people protested that song. Um, for example, imagine there's no heaven. It's so easy if you try no hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living just for today. I personally love the song. Um, a lot of people did not. Radio station. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that's so surprising because, yeah, I love the song too. I didn't know that people did not like it. Well, it was, a lot of it was religious people that mm. didn't like it. You're basically saying there's no heaven, there's no hell. Uh, now all of a sudden John Lennon is like sadistic and Satan <laughs> and the devil, you know. Jeez. Um, so radio stations, they were appalled. They would boycott John Lennon music. Churches, um, they had an album burning session. But Rolling Stones called it John's greatest song that he's ever wrote. So again, a lot of people thought it was a battle anthem for peace, but religions and religious people, uh, churches, they all thought the song was saying, if there's no heaven, and that rubbed them the wrong way, hence the burning sessions. <laughs> but aside from all that, there's a man in particular that was really struggling with all of this could not believe what he was hearing. John Lennon, the man he idolized, the man he loved, talking about no heaven. What is going on? And that was Mark David Chapman. So like ironic that he was like appalled by this, yet he also felt that murder was okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also thought that John was living a life, well, a very well-living life, and he found that to be hypocritical. 
Um, he would sing his in his songs about not needing money and just living like a regular non-material life. But then he would see him on yachts and enjoying the high life. So is he lying to the world? Like, what the hell? Like, that's just insulting. And the only way to fix this is to kill him. And that's what Mark planned to do. Now, like I said, Mark had idolized Holden Caulfield as well. He is the main character in Catcher in the Rye. He brought this book with him pretty much everywhere he went. He read it multiple times. It was kind of his Bible, if you will. I don't know if it's maybe he connected the character, connected with the character in the book, like, Holden is going through different emotions, trying to keep up with society, but stay true to himself, stay true to his innocence. But he also feels the world is full of phonies, and that's a struggle. But it gave voices to the youth in that time period. So I'm not sure where Mark related, but he felt a strong connection to that character. Well, near the end, Mark considered John Lennon the biggest phony of them all. 25-year-old Mark David Chapman in 1980, he would take his $5,000. He was going to fly from New York to Hawaii. And this is the beginning of the mission, co-ops kill John Lennon. Okay. That's like my little James Bond or, you know. <laughs> I like it. So his father-in-law gave him the money. He went and he bought his plane ticket. He bought a gun. He did not buy the bullets because he feels taking bullets on an airplane would be way too dangerous. <laughs> He's very complex people. Okay? I was going to say this guy. So many ironies to him. Um I know it's it's funny, but not funny. You know what I mean? Right. However, this messed up his plan because once he got to New York, he figured, okay, you can't be a civilian and just go buy bullets willy nilly over the counter. I mean, this is in the seventies, people. Um, so he got to Manhattan, and he got to the Dakota. He kind of hung out. He watched it daily. He learned the ins and outs, the movements, the people, everything around the Dakota. Now, the Dakota is the name of the hotel where John Lennon and Oko stayed. It is in the Upper West Side of New York, and that's where him, Yoko, and his son all lived. Now, however... Once you were in the layout, once he had the layout of his big plan, he was still not put together. He needed the bullets. So Mark had a friend, a deputy, if you will. This is kind of mind-boggling, but um, who lived in Atlanta. So he flew down to Atlanta. He told him he needed ammunition and bullets for this gun. He said it was for protection. His friend clearly said, okay, didn't question it. Gave him five hollow shell bullets. Now, those aren't just regular bullets. Those are the type of bullets that expand when connected to the body and it does extra damage. And it basically just annihilates the tissue inside your body. Damn. Making it more dangerous. Um, so, I mean, I guess if you, he really trusted him, but I mean, if you came telling me that you needed ammunition or a gun, I'm, I mean, I might question like, well, like, what are we, what are we doing? You know, right. I've never heard of you going hunting. So what's up? <laughs> like, what's the move here? So once he got his ammunition, he hopped back on the plane and flew back to New York. Side note, plane tickets must have been really cheap back then. Oh, I'm sure. While he was awaiting his mission, or for the perfect moment, if you will, he went to see a movie called Ordinary People. It stars a young Timothy Hutton, and his character is a little on the dark side, suicidal, 
basically comes from a very dysfunctional family. Mark returns back to his hotel room that night and immediately called Gloria, who is his wife, and confesses and explains his purpose of being in New York and telling her like she wanted to kill John Lennon and just told her everything. But he changed his mind. I, he's come to his senses. Something in that movie made him see what he's doing is wrong and he's just going to come home. The next day, he hops back on a plane and flew back home to his wife. Now, I would like to tell you that things were good with Mark and he continued a family life with his wife. But unfortunately, it only lasted two months before he had the urge to kill John again. And the urge got even stronger. So he booked another ticket back to New York on December 6th, 1980. December 7th, the night before the murders, Mark is, is in his hotel room and he's getting all his affairs in order. You know how you create like, um, like a collage board or a manifestation board, um, PowerPoints, pinpoints, and you put like all the different pictures of the different things on the board, how you want it to be, what you think it should look like. And you usually do it with like pictures out of magazines or newspapers, whatever. Yes, I've definitely done that. Okay, well, that's kind of what Mark did, but he had items and he laid them across his bed in the hotel. And that consisted of his passport, a picture of him working with a refugee from Vietnamese, a picture from The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy is wiping a tear from the Cowardly Lion, a leather-bound Bible. But in the Bible, there is a passage, and he had highlighted it and changed it. And instead of the Gospel of John, he changed it to the Gospel of John Lennon. Oh, Wow. So it's now early morning, December 8th, 1980. Mark is outside the Dakota, just waiting for John to walk by. But he wasn't the only one. There was actually a group of fans who were regulars, and they were there quite often, just waiting for John and Yoko to walk by. At this time, John and his wife had released their new album, which was called Double Fantasy which Mark did have a copy of. He made sure he went out and got it, wanted to make sure he'd blend in with the rest of the fans. The group of people that were out there, they were out there quite a bit and they were familiar with each other. It was kind of like a, I don't want to say a club, but it was just a, a mutual place where all these fans would hang out. And they would just chat amongst themselves. They didn't recognize Mark. He's a newcomer. He's new to the group. He didn't look familiar, but they did try to include him with conversation, engage with him. They even introduced him to John's son, Sean. When he walked by with the nanny, he said, hello, Sean. He shook his hand and called him a beautiful boy, which is ding, 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 or side note. Um, that was also one of the titles of John Lennon's songs. Oh. So pretty sure he's probably making a reference. Right. But, like, can we stop for a minute and talk about, like, how can you bend down, shake this little boy's hand, call him beautiful, look him in the eyes, knowing behind all that you're planning on murdering his dad, like, in the next few hours. Like, that's not cool, dude. That's, like, sick. So sick. That's horrible. It's now 5 o'clock, and John Lennon finally makes an appearance outside the building. Here is the moment that they've all been waiting for, just to get, you know, some pictures, an autograph, just everybody's favorite thing to do is wait for John to walk by, which I don't even think you could do that. I mean, maybe, but I know people wouldn't be like celebrities that willy-nilly walking by now. I mean, No, I feel like they have like top security now these days. Yeah, it's crazy. probably because of things like this. So it's at this moment that Mark is actually starstruck and he's in like a, oh my God moment. And instead of pulling out his gun, he pulled out his album and he asked John Lennon for an autograph. And John was very kind and very polite. He's like, of course. And he signed it. And before getting into his car, he 
looked at him and he said, is there anything else I can do? And Mark was just like, no, man, I'm good. Thanks. You know? So John got in his car, took off to his recording studio. Mark started to feel very conflicted. It's at this moment he was doing everything he could to not go through with his plan. He asked one of the fans if they wanted to go out and, you know, have dinner, hang out. He even begged another fan just to stay and hang out with him. In his mind, he's thinking if he wasn't alone, then maybe he wouldn't do what he came to do. However, later that night, John came walking down the street, walked right past Mark, who was still in front of his place. And that's when Mark turned around and shot him four times in the back and once in the shoulder blade. The doorman was a witness to this and he didn't hesitate. He ran over to Mark. He knocked the gun out of his hand and then kicked it away from Mark's reach. Now here's where it's a little weird and part of the topic of the episode is Mark calmly sat down. He pulls out his copy of Catcher in the Rye and just calmly waits for the police to show up reading the book. Weird. When the police got the copy of the book in their possession, they opened it up and inside the cover, and I quote, Mark wrote, this is my manifesto, and it was his signature by Mark that said Holden Caulfield. The police were there within minutes, and they immediately seen the condition of John, and they knew there was no time to wait for an ambulance. He needs to get to the hospital. He needs to get there now. So the group of officers picked him up. They threw him in the back of the cop car and rushed to the hospital. Now, I remember going back to those hollow point bullets he bought. Well, fortunately, they did what they were meant to do. The time John got to the hospital, back into surgery, they opened him up. And immediately, doctors stated that those three bullets went into John's heart, and they just annihilated the heart, shredded it to pieces. And there was absolutely nothing they could do to save John. Mark David Chapman came to murder John Lennon, and that's exactly what he did. John Lennon was pronounced dead. So we're going to quickly dive into Mark just a little bit. I'm not going to go deep because, you know, we got a lot more stuff to cover. But he was born in 1955 in Texas. And although they did not stay there long, after his father left the Air Force, they packed up and moved to Georgia. Dad was an engineer. Mom was a nurse. He had a sister who was seven years younger than him. Mark stated that the whole family lived in fear of his abusive father and who would actually beat him with closed fists. And witnesses have said that, like, it made Mark grow up pretty quick. He felt like he had to protect his family He had to protect his mom and his sister from his abusive father. Oh, wow. One night when Mark was young, he saw his mom running naked from a room to the bedroom and ran up to Mark and not asked, but begged for protection from Mark to his father. She begged him to please beat up the father. Mark was a little kid. Like, how do you even compute that? And like... How is this kid supposed to think like, okay, I have to protect mom from dad? Like, how did you wrap your head around that? And that was the beginning of Mark's struggles. Probably where the trauma begins. Mark had trouble making friends at school. He was bullied quite a bit. Um, His true friends were imaginary. They lived in the walls of his bedroom. And he was a leader, if you will. He even, up into the adult world, he believed these imaginary people were his true friends. When he was little, he would play the Beatles records over and over for his friends. He would take army men out and he would paste little tiny paper guitars and little, he even made a little tiny paper drum set for Ringo and he would tape it on there. 
and he would put on concerts and he would put on shows. But when Mark was mad, he had a fake button on his couch and he would just blow them all up. But it was okay because he felt better and then they would forgive him. Wow. They were his friends. They couldn't stay mad at him no matter what he did. Mark eventually found drugs and alcohol, which is not uncommon for people who have trauma or been abused. They find it calming. They find it a way to escape from trauma. But there's also negativity that comes out of it as well. And with Mark, that's what happened. Uh, The time he turned 14, he was using drugs and alcohol regularly. He was skipping school. He was getting into trouble. And now drugs, it's not a minor thing for him. It was major. And it wasn't just a little bit of pot. It was heroin and LSD. Very trippy, mind-blowing, like, trauma stuff. Mm-hmm. He decided to run away from home. He lived on the streets for a couple weeks. At some point, he decided that wasn't the life for him. When he turned 16, he decided to be a born-again Christian and return to a le- religion, which again, it's not uncommon for people with drug and alcohol abuse who want to get help and get, you know, back on their feet, back to a working world. A lot of people turn to religion. They surrender. um, And well, religion, like others, it can become a new obsession. And he later found himself working at the YMCA with children, which he did enjoy. He said working with kids was a lot more easier than working with adults. When Mark was 21, he joined his then-girlfriend in college in Tennessee, which was good for a minute until it wasn't. Uh, He then cheated on her, and it went south. Can't imagine why, dude. Right. And he got overridden with guilt and depression. And his obsession for the Beatles couldn't even fix this. So you cheat on her, then you get depressed. Okay, got it. Yeah, could have been uh, avoidable, but all right. Wonder how she felt. Right. So at this point, he's still having some issues with John. Um, From the comment that he made back in 1966, he was on a talk show. And John had mentioned that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. And that did not sit well with Mark. That was considered considered blasphemous. A lot of Mark's friends said at the time, um, they would just tell him, like, dude, like, you're overacting. Like, just chill out, relax. Um, but he'd get, like, over the top. And they could see, like, his anger was growing bigger and bigger. To Mark, he was a religious fanatic. Um, And this was his way of thinking that killing in the name of Jesus, it's not a crime. It's okay. And that's what Mark thought. Um, Side note, we don't support that. And um, Jesus probably doesn't support that either. Don't use his name for murder. No, not at all. Later, Mark would take his whole life savings. And that's when he decided he was going to Hawaii He was going to spend all this money and then live this lavish life in Hawaii. And then he was going to commit suicide. And he tried to have an amazing trip. And he did what he said he was going to do. Well, okay, he didn't do it. He tried to do it. He hooked up carbon monoxide up to his car and attempted to take his life. However, the hose melted. The carbon monoxide failed and when someone walking by happened to see what was going on well he saved his life Um, later mark went to the psychiatric hospital and he stayed there for a while he met his wife gloria she was a travel agent she's the one that helped him book um, a trip he wanted to go travel around the world he ended up getting a job with gloria as a janitor maintenance guy And then eventually he got a little office in the basement as a copy guy. And that started to take a toll on his life, his wife would say, that working in a dark office in the room in the basement kind of made him more manic. His depression worsened, and he ended up having to quit that job. 
He started drinking heavily. He became abusive, even with Gloria. And he got a different job, a night shift, being a security guard. But his moon swings and the drinking alcohol, the manic depression, it just got stronger and stronger. So I listen to a podcast and, you know, they talk about the brain and due to different manic depression, bipolar, uh, bipolar depression. And there are different things that you can do to calm like all of that. Doctors claim that he was bipolar and obsessive and that he could go back and ex- this could go back and explain why he was obsessed with Catcher in the Rye and the whole Calden, Holden Caulfield. He explained that the book, that's what pushed him to kill John. Now, I don't know, again, if that's true. Again, conspiracy or coincidence. But um, And I've been reading the book, and I don't feel the same way. I'm Just glad. Saying. <laughs> So I don't think it's really the book's fault, but that's just my humble opinion. (laughs) Um, His wife, Gloria, goes on to say that the song God enraged Mark and that put him into a big black darkness, like a dark rage. The song, Imagine, Mark thought he was singing it about him, singing about how Mark had nothing and he was just, you know, little people. And John was singing the song and whatever John was singing about, he was meaning it towards Mark personally. And it's crazy because they didn't even know each other. But that goes to show you like the manic and the bipolar. It's just the instability Mark had mental wise. Right. Mark was still conflicted about his feelings and emotions. He said he had to talk to his little people. He was going to call a board meeting with his friends. um, And his little people told him not to do it. But John said there was a demon in him, in his mind. He would hear voices and they would tell him he must do it. He heard voices telling him to do it. Right before he shot John Lennon, he heard a voice telling him, do it, do it now. After he had a psych evaluation, and he had five of them, um, they were diagnosed him with psychotic schizophrenia. And five of them said that. The sixth doctor diagnosed him with manic bipolar. Mark believed so bad that he had demons in him. Once he was prison, he had a priest stand outside his door. And they even performed an exorcist on him, to which Mark said he could feel the demons coming out of his mouth and he could hear the demons talk to him. Wow. There is a point in time where Barbara Walters asked him if he could say anything to Yoko, what would he say? And he replied with, he did not kill a person. He killed an image. He killed an album cover. He killed a thought, and there was never really an apology. There was never really, I'm sorry for what she's going through. Um, He said he was remorseful, but without an apology or asking for forgiveness, whether it be from Yoko or from God or anybody, it's kind of hard to believe if he was really that remorseful. He also goes to say he wishes that somebody would have stopped him, meaning his wife. Which kind of brings me to another point. And I always wondered this because his wife knew what he was going to do. Like, maybe not the first time, but the second time. She knew. And, like, in my opinion, I feel like there should have been some charges pushed on her Mm -hmm. for the murder of Lennon. Like, if I knew that Pat was going to New York to kill somebody, I feel like I should call the authorities at the airport, call the police here, call the police there. Like, tell somebody what he's going to do. Like, right? Not him. just, not just be like, okay, good luck with that. Like, and Especially not do anything about it. John Lennon, like at the time, that's like huge. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, somebody would have listened to her. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, could she have stopped him? Did she try to stop him? Could she have done more? I feel like there's more she could have did. Maybe not with him, but with other people. Like, mm-hmm. somebody could have got a message to John some way, somehow, like, don't go home. Right. But no charges were ever filed. And his wife, Gloria, is actually still married to him to this day. And she visits him quite a bit in prison. I mean, and how do you stay married to a man who murdered someone? Like, especially the pop icon of the world. Like, oh my gosh. Right. Like, that's dedication, I guess, on her part. But that's insane. And like, what do you tell people? Like, are you married? Yeah, to the guy that tried to kill John Lennon. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Definitely an introduction for sure. But again, he expressed that he was angry and talked about his obsession. He knew he had to do it, but nobody stopped him. The fans didn't stop him. The photographer didn't stop him. His wife didn't stop him. Now, I'm not really sure the fans even knew what he was going to do. Like, um, But he said his obsession was so strong that eventually he knew he just had to carry it out. John Lennon had to die. And he even prayed. He prayed to the devil himself to give him the strength to pull the trigger. He had a purpose to to rid the world of a phony and to protect the innocence of the people. And John Lennon was the epitome of the phony, and he had to go. And it was his purpose to kill John Lennon. Oh. He said... Once he murdered John and his mission was completed, he would become Holden Caulfield. And he even attempted to legally change his name to Holden. Crazy, right? After the murder, Merck said he originally planned to stand up and hold up the book Catcher in the Rye and scream, I am Holden Caulfield, the catcher and the rye of the present generation. Yeah. Once he was arrested, the statement that he put into the police said that a big part of him is Holden Caulfield. The little part of him must be the devil. Now, need to say, Mark was held with the highest security in prison. Um, His lawyers, everybody around him had high security at Rikers Island. Actually, his first lawyer who took his case walked away and quit due to the death threats he was getting for just taking on Mark's case. When John Lennon's murder was announced to the world, the frenzy, it was crazy, like crazy, crazy. Now, Mark is charged with second-degree murder, which I don't know why not first-degree murder, because you thought this through, clearly. Um, It was intent. He obsessed over it. He was very meticulous about what he was going to do. So I don't know why only second degree. Yeah, what? That makes zero sense why he got second degree. Unless they had something to do with his mental, his like his, um, like if they claimed insanity or something, if that had something to do with it. But like, still. I'm sorry. I saw your feet and I thought that was somebody walking behind you. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was wiggling them. <laughs> no, that's fine. I was just like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> um, but after going through a, uh, psychological evaluations and talking to doctors, six months later, he was finally fit to stand for trial. Um, And he went with the plea, not guilty, by reason of insanity. Mark's lawyers were certain he'd probably get off a non-guilty charge if he pled not guilty by reasonable insanity. Mark, again, had other plans, though. He said he was going to plead guilty, dropped the insanity part. His lawyers advised him multiple times, "Uh, my dude, don't do that. And he said, God told me I need to plead guilty, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm guessing maybe in his mind he's repenting for his sins if he pleads guilty. That's my humble opinion, though. 
So they did what he wished. They dropped insanity. The judge said he was fully capable of making his own decision and he was going to go with the trial of the plea of guilty and it will not be changed again. So that's what happened. Mark ultimately got 20 years in prison with no attempts of parole until the full 20 years. So the big question is, if Mark gets parole, has he changed in prison after all the psychiatrical and therapy? I believe not. Um, I believe, I mean, you murdered somebody and you planned it out, you obsessed, you meticulated, you took on a persona of a book character. Um, I don't know. There's a lot to that. I don't think you can just change. And either way, you murdered someone. I don't think you should get out. Yeah. I mean, and he like plotted, plotted to murder him. It wasn't just like a quick, you know, in the moment thing. Not that that's good either, but just like the fact that he was thinking about it for like so long before he actually did it. I believe he's medicated and I believe he thinks he's better because he's been medicated. Um, I believe with those disorders, um, if he was put out into the real world, he could unravel and not be quite fit for society. I believe that he could so easily quit taking his medication. And then, I mean, then what? Are we going after Paul? I right. Mean, Who um, knows? Or the other people on his hit list, um, which, I mean, rest his soul. You can't have Bowie. He's already gone. <laughs> right. Um, I believe he took a life, whether it be John Lennon, John Smith down the road, um, he should not be free, especially with something that was so calculated. Mark has been denied parole 12 times. He's now 68 years old, still in prison. Um, he is up for parole, actually, in this month of 2024. However, I tried looking up. It has not showed a verdict yet, so I don't know if he hasn't gone yet. Um, we're praying that lucky number 13... 13. Okay. Um, Crazy. <laughs> um, hopefully lucky number 13 will keep him in prison where he belongs. As for John Lennon, there was no funeral. The day after he was murdered, he was cremated. Yoko Uno just took him back to the apartment and that was that. I'm surprised there wasn't a funeral for him. I mean, I think people went by and paid like their condolences like to the hotel. Right, And it was probably just kind of like, you know, the surviving Beatles and some family members, but there was no big thing. Big thing, yeah. Man, this story is crazy. Like, it's so sad because obviously it all boils down to, like, his mental health, his lack of mental health, and, like, the trauma that he took on as a child and it's just like oh so much of it could have been prevented but also too i get it it was like the 50s or no was this the 80s this was the 80s so like there was even less well know, the murder was in the emphasis. 80s but most of his growing up was like in the 70s you know 60s, right 70s. so there was just not a lot of emphasis on mental health and like like there is today so obviously he just didn't have the resources or anything to like help him but it's just like so crazy the obsession that he had with it and the fact that yeah something with catcher in the rye like triggered it for him and i don't know why like i haven't read the book but like even you said you are reading it and you don't <laughs> get it no i mean I guess the book and the, the timing, like it's a lot of it is like this, you know, young kid trying to navigate society, like I said, and keep the innocence. But I don't know, as far as like murder, like that was just weird. 
Yeah. But there is more to this um, conspiracy or coincidence. Um, we're going to continue next week, though, just because there's a lot to it. Um, there's another story, another connection, some more ding, ding, dings. Um, but yeah, um, crazy stuff. Craziness. But uh, hopefully, I know the story's been told, but maybe it's new info to some people. Um, and hopefully you'll come back next week for part two and listen to more crazies of Catcher in the Rye. Conspiracy or coincidence? Stay tuned, people. I'm coming back because I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we gots to go. Stay creepy, y'all. Bye. Bye. Thank you.